The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hey, this is Matt Landry, the voice of Anakin Skywalker in Star Wars The Clone Wars. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars. This is where the fun begins. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, episode 184. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a deity. That's not how the Force works. Force is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing. Remember, the Force will be with you, always. Hey everyone, I'm Angela Cialana, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, where we talk about everything connected to that galaxy far, far away. From movies to books to TV shows, RPGs, and much more, we are looking at the deeper themes and meanings found in Star Wars. And today we are continuing to explore the Force and spirituality by taking a look at holocrons, relics, ancient artifacts, and other spiritual objects in Star Wars. So on our crew tonight, we have, uh, first of all, the Dadalorian, Patrick Mason. Hello, Patrick. Hello, Angela. Good to be here. <laughs> Great to have you. And we also have the pod racer, Ryan Nafziger. What's up, Ryan? Hello, hello. Doing well. All right. Well, before we dig in here, we'd like to give a big shout out to Jeremy F., Michael E., William J., Terrence G., and Catherine S., and all of our patrons who make this show possible. Thank you so much. And if you all out there also appreciate StarQuest's mission, please consider becoming a patron. Just check out sqpn.com slash give where you can see your options and sign up. Thank you so much. All right. So today we will be discussing, yes, objects that have a spiritual significance in Star Wars and their impact on the characters and the story, as well as what we can glean from all this for our actual lives, because we're nerds and we live Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> so let's define a few terms i know i mentioned holocrons and you know guys really the holocrons they don't actually come up in like the major star wars movies that much or do they like if are they mentioned at all i don't know if they're mentioned in like the actual big movies but um even in like the canon material that most people are, are familiar with in star wars you really see holocrons, not that much. Um, and in all the rest of the media, comics, RPGs, as I know Patrick will mention, um, so much more, video games, they do come up. And so um, let's talk about them. So I'm going to read a definition from Wikipedia and then we'll kind of discuss. So Wikipedia says, holocrons were information storage devices used by both the Jedi Order and the Sith that contained ancient lessons or valuable information in holographic form. They appeared as palm-sized glowing polyhedrons <laughs> of crystalline material and hardware and could only be activated and used through the power of the Force. So essentially, it's kind of like... Um, kind of like a jewelry box for wisdom or something. I don't know. It's like, I'm trying to think of like a real world comparison. <laughs> a jewelry safe. box for wisdom. <laughs> a safe, maybe um, personal force safe or something like that. Um, <laughs> Illuminated manuscript. Okay. Yes. That has like a, in encoded password on it or yeah, something. Yeah, an illuminated manuscript <laughs> with a uh, one of those like keypad locks on the front of it. It's like you know, in, you know, in Doctor Strange where they have the books and they're locked up. That okay, all like right. The, the Voynich manuscript. It's written in such a way that you can't read it, hey, <laughs> but it's got lots go. of lots of wisdom. Ig Latin book. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Patrick, um, you mentioned as we were getting ready for the show that you have some experience creating holocrons. Is that true? That's, uh, semi-accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Do you tell? There's, um, so 
before I get into the ones I've made in my past, there's ones you can make now um, at the Star Wars portion of Disney. Um, mm, the Disney Galaxy's World of Disney. Edge. Yeah, yes. there, there's an artifact uh, store. Um, and you can go in and you can build your own holocron, either Jedi or Sith. So just wanted to throw that out there. It's open to anybody <laughs> who wants to do that and meddle in the dark arts. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the, my first introduction to the concept of holocron was actually in one of the Star Wars MMOs, one of the real early ones that, um, it was set in the time of the empire. So there were no, there were no Jedi. Um, but one of the things you could do if you were really super dedicated to the game, which I was not, um, is, is go around and find these holocrons. And if you got enough of them and put them together, you could basically become a Jedi. You could uh, build a lightsaber and you could have force powers and that kind of stuff. Um, very rare. This was in the fairly early days of MMOs, like before they got, you know, before World of Warcraft <laughs> made them super, super big. But, um, and then when I started uh, playing the Star Wars RPG, uh, the D20 version, I realized that you could, you could make Sith holocrons. And so one of the campaigns I wrote for my guys was based in the Old Republic prior to Episode 1. And one of the paths they could go down, like one of the items they end up finding in in kind of this back safe of this criminal organization that they're supposed to take down a Coruscant is a holocron that then leads them on to like the basically puts them on the path of the Sith. Um and so I got to build a holocron for this. <laughs> and um the way the Sith holocrons work in in that setting is they're um they're not like a single person who makes them. It's sort of like you said, like a wisdom repository. Um, so it's sort of like a library within within a device. And you have multiple Sith putting themselves kind of into it. And there's sort of this spiritual giving or connection to it so that this, the holocron itself takes on sort of a motley personality of the various Sith who, who made it. And so you'll have holocrons that have their own names that were not there. They might be named after the maker, but they might have their own name that they come to just take for themselves. And they have their own personality sort of built as a, as a conglomeration of, you know, which Sith Lord um, put their time and effort into it. And so they're, they're fun because it's sort of, I don't know if you've, familiar with D and D, but there's always the, the funness of a cursed item where a character picks up a magic item and it's cursed and now they're stuck with it <laughs> because they can't <laughs> get rid of it. And it was the same kind of a concept. Like you could, especially for a force user, if they started accessing the holocron, then it could start playing on their mind and it could start forcing them to use it. Um, and that wow. was sort of the, the funness behind it. It was sort of a, a way for, a Sith, a, yet another way for the Sith to try and become deathless. It's um, kind of like the Horcruxes in uh, in Harry Potter, where the the Sith would like kind of put themselves into it in order to try and control whoever uses it on the other side. I like the One Ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Other thing I thought of. Yeah, totally. Um, I think about the main one of the main storylines for Ezra Bridger in his. Um, his, I guess, training. It's, I mean, training is very loosely used in Rebels, the series Rebels, um, animated series. But Ezra unlocks this Sith holocron, and it, yeah, it calls out to him, and it becomes like the One Ring in the Lord of the Rings, where it's almost unavoidable for him. You know, he just he can't. He can't resist. <laughs> so, yeah, it's creepy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't want yeah. that in real life, in real world, I gotta say. Yeah, yeah. that'd be too much temptation. <laughs> yeah. I remember the first, I looked it up because I have to do my homework, but the first Holocron appearance in canon was actually the uh, way back when Cad Bane did the heist to steal the Holocron that. I believe it actually contained all of the um it like the 
in, the names info of, of force sensitive children across right, the galaxy or something right like that. Yeah, yeah that was a jedi holocron right? yeah that was yeah. a jedi holocron yeah I want to say the only one that shows up in the movies is in episode nine as the, the shows the location of, um, Exegol. Um, and, and it's not necessary. He never calls it a holocron. It's never referred to a holocron, but it looks like a holocron and it kind of acts like a holocron. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember. Yeah. That. It's, it's, so it's called pyramid. a wayfinder. Yeah. It says wayfinder, which, yeah, I did look that up before the show to kind of figure out what what was the difference so did they just drop it in and have no lore or? <laughs> well actually there i don't know if they built the lore later but um there is a lot of lore surrounding wayfinders um apparently it, if you want like a real world comparison you could think of old paper maps that we used to use when you would drive around. <laughs> now we have GPS, but before there were paper maps that so you actually had to uh, plan your route and find your way around something. So um, what a wayfinder was is apparently there was a race of um, creatures or beings that um, were sort of like... Um, they were force wielders, but they didn't really have, they didn't pick a side. They were like, they didn't see the force as either mm, dark or light. They just saw it as the force. And they created these items called wayfinders that um, basically would, uh, yeah, like help you kind of use the force to retain um your your path to a certain place so like in the old times in the older old times of the old republic they uh instead of having ships that would record your path to a certain like planet or temple or whatever you would have a wayfinder and that would record the times that you would you know turn <laughs> so to speak or or jump you know light speed um, and there was like this plasma inside of it that would sort of retain that information. So yeah, it's, it's a little bit different than a holocron in that it doesn't contain like wisdom or anything or teachings, but it's sort of, um, it can, it still has to do with an interaction with the force, um, to yeah, record uh, a journey. <laughs> Oh, okay. We're getting real nerdy here. Um. <laughs> it reminds me of like what they did in what they did in Solo with L3 putting her in the ship. Yeah. Kind of. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, I guess. Well, we'll talk about we'll talk about later, like how how much the force had to do with L3 and the Falcon. But let's move on to talking about relics because I did talk about relics in particular. And of course, the general sort of definition of relics is artifacts, maybe artifacts with historical significance. But here, you know, we're talking about historical significance. We're also talking about spiritual significance as well. And, you know, relics are like a hot topic in the Catholic faith, <laughs> um, in our history and all that. Um, so how would you guys like explain real world relics just so we can have like a comparison basis for everybody? It's, it's definitely the most fun thing to explain to non-Catholics <laughs> <laughs> by, by far. It's the one that gets you the most like wide eyed. Are you serious? Kind of looks. <laughs> Cause we get um, really excited about them and yes, they're slightly creepy to people. Can I tell you know, people like that, I I went yeah. to this you know <laughs> monastery where I got to see you know relics of Padre Pio and and um, Teresa of Lisieux's parents and they asked me oh what were those and I'm like well it was scraps of clothing that Padre Pio had bled on and it was the femur of, <laughs> of Teresa's parents are like what what <laughs> you went there it's like it's just it's just uh, 
Ryan, you want to take a stab at it? <laughs> I'm trying to think of the last time I had to explain relic, relics to like non-Catholic relatives or my parents or something. Um, well, so yeah, yeah um, <laughs> I I like to think of relics as the weird uncle, but the <laughs> uncle that once you get to know him, he's like really interesting and has like done some really cool stuff, and you just want to learn all about like his life. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, it's funny because I like, because, you know, in some contexts where people don't have any problems with miracles, we're like, oh yeah, like I know someone who prayed over a person who was dying and then they were healed. Um, mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in contexts where people are really like, like where where fellow Christians are like really friendly and familiar with miracles, you can simply describe it as yeah, and and some and there's a tradition of really holy people um still being able to uh pray and intercede. It's like you can't have relics without having like saintly intercession, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So kind of like if we were to analogize this to Star Wars, it's like you can't have uh holocrons without uh force ghosts or something like that yeah so like basically the belief is that you know we believe that when we die and we're our spirit is united with god in heaven hopefully you know at the end of our earthly life that we're like more alive than we would be on earth in a way um you know we're united with god in this mysterious way and so like why would we not be able to pray for people in that state um, like we do here, right? So we intercede for people with God from here because we pray for them. Um, We pray for each other. And so why would we not do that in heaven, right? And so that's, yeah, that's exactly what you're saying is like saints are, are people that we believe are united with God and that they can pray for us from, from that union and uh, and we use, yeah, like, you know, if you some people have this thing where they maybe keep a lock of hair of their loved one, you know, or like, you know, grandpa's watch or something or his pipe or like, you know, these things that sort of help us feel closer to those people. Um, that's what relics are for Catholics. And the funny thing is, like, I have I have non-Catholic friends who like have been to. Uh, Jerusalem and they said oh it was really powerful to like um touch unfortunately they weren't at the church of the holy sepulcher so it wasn't actually the tomb but um, uh, uh, go listen to to mysterious world with jimmy aiken yeah that was that was a recent (laughs) that was a really good episode yeah that was that was a good one but like they said oh yeah it was really moving to touch this and like it was and and and, like that sort of thing so Mm -hmm. um, yeah so it's definitely it's definitely like there's definitely a very like true and moving. Tr- there's a lot of true and moving truth to that. I mean, even you could think of, I I think of also like old churches as relics too. Like mm-hmm. if you like when you step inside a, a a really old cathedral, you're like, oh, this building is. It is a relic in that it's really old, but it's also a relic in that it's clearly it it's holy. It's been sanctified by use for you know hundreds of years. Mm. Um, it's kind of another way of thinking about another way of thinking about relics that you don't often you know connect because relics are often people but relics can also be objects yeah i i think um i think there's a it to me it goes to the entanglement between the material world and the spiritual world right so like we are um both spiritual and material beings. Um, so unlike the angels who are fully spiritual, they, they have that side of the ball. We have both sides of the ball. And so I, I, everything sort of like just a person's existence leaves a mark on the material and the matter they interact with. And depending on mm-hmm. how they interact with that matter and what they do with it, it can, it can leave different impressions upon it. And um, I like Jimmy talking about i think he's got an episode on hauntings which is kind of that that view where they there's you know something traumatic or very emotional happened in a certain space and then it leaves a marker impression on that space and i think 
in a very real way, it doesn't have to be a traumatic emotion, right? It could be any mm -hmm. very strong sort of emotional or spiritual connection to a thing or a place. And obviously a person's own body is going to be extremely spiritually connected to them. Like it's, you can't get away from that, right? It's your body. And so I think uh, for me, one of the, the amazing things about the relics is it's still a way to tie into both sides of a saint and not just the spiritual side. Like I can pray to, um, you know, St. Teresa of Avila anytime I want, but then I could also go over to where she is in her, um, I want to say she's, she's one of the, the corpses that doesn't decompose in the same way. Um, I can't oh, remember what um, called. Incorrupt. Incorrupt. Incorruptibles. Um, and, and there's a very different feel to it and it's hard to put into like just a you know a material aspect kind of a, a but it's not on that side that you're dealing with it's on the spiritual side and so i think there's a very real connection that occurs with the um you know physical being of that person and so you know no matter what that that person's you know physical and spiritual sides interacted in that place and i think there is still a tie even after death to that that's and i think in a lot of ways you know we talk about you know we always want to be respectful when we bury bodies and we you know we want to um either bury or if we cremate then we still put them in a in a hallowed place but you always have to be respectful of the dead and i think you know part of that's not just a respect for human life as it it you know they've died already and they've moved on but it's it's still there's still a connection there. And I think it's very real. And I think you have to be right. reverent in that way. Yeah. We're not yeah. soul cars. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So like if we could take a baby step into the star Wars world from here, I would say, look at Kylo Ren with the mask of Darth Vader. Right. Oh yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Like he's, he's got it because he seems to pull some kind of like spiritual motivation from having it in his personal quarters that he even like talks to his grandfather through it almost, or just to have that tangible connection to his grandfather. And for me, that's one of the most relatable things about Kylo Ren's character um, is that because I, I never knew one of my grandfathers growing up and I've kept this small like school photo of his sort of wondering like what was he like and how are we similar or different and and so that I think would be would kind of be like the closest thing that I could think of as far as how we use relics in the real world in Star Wars. Yeah I think you have a very similar thing that happens with the lightsaber um, which I think begins its journey as Anakin's and then goes to Luke and then ends up in Ray's hands. Um, and, you know, there's a lot to say for that from a, a you know, heroic arc perspective. But, it, you know, Ray gets those visions almost immediately when she grabs the lightsaber. And it's sort of, it, it's a connection to that past. Um, and, you know, as much as I may or may not like Ray <laughs> and her position and everything, um, that that lightsaber in particular is is special because it was held by the person who more or less, you know, was one half of the downfall of the Jedi order. And then was held by the person who was trying, you know, who sort of takes down the Sith empire. And now it's in the hands of the person who's supposed to rebuild uh, the Jedi. Um, and so there's, I think as a relic, it's a very important symbol and, you know, likely because, whether or not you think of the force as a spiritual side of things, it does appear to have a very spiritual side to force ghost. I mean, come on. <laughs> so yeah. Um, feels like it ties into all of that. Just trying to not say the words, the youngling slayer 5,000. <laughs> <laughs> nope. You said them. You said it. Out loud. it didn't work. I couldn't help myself. Oh man. Um, uh, one of the relics one of the relics I wanted to talk about, and this is kind of a, this is something that isn't thought about a lot, but I think once I say it, you're going to think, oh, of course, uh, is the Millennium Falcon. 
<laughs> yes, yeah. I it's, it's knew totally you were going to go there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's. Uh, I I think it's one of the. I think it's it's one of the most. Um, it's it's the easiest thing to see in Star Wars and be like, oh yeah, that's totally. It's totally just this. Uh, kind of like Luke's X wing. It's just this symbol of. It's this immediate symbol of hope and um, going against the odds. And the whole rebellion is basically just it's the flagship of the rebellion uh, in a very real way. Um, And you totally get that sense when you see it come back in the sequel trilogy. Um, You know, Chewie, we're home is one of the best lines in the whole sequel trilogy. It's it's amazing. Mm. Um, And I think that in a very real way, it becomes its own character. And I think that that's, I think that's the sign of when you can really see like in star Wars, something that something that is very much a relic, like take shape where like Luke's lightsaber is kind of its own character. Like when you mm-hmm. see it in a box, you're like, Oh, you know, you're, 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 you're getting hyped in the seats. The first time you see it in the box and same with the Falcon, same with, I mean, same with pretty much any of these iconic um yeah these iconic items uh vader's mask of course so yeah i i love the the falcon is a relic is one of my favorite ones in star wars what a piece of junk <laughs> i know that's exactly what i was thinking <laughs> it's such a symbol of the rebellion from the outside what a piece of junk <laughs> yeah yeah and i love how it becomes a bigger piece of junk in the sequel trilogy where you're like if it was a piece of junk in the original this thing is like driving a <laughs> 1920s like ford model t <laughs> <laughs> well and what's cool about the falcon too is that it has all three in it um, yeah. and you know, we, we learned that through the solo movie and uh, there, if you talk about like spiritual connection, right? Like there is an emotional connection for sure that, um, Lando and, and Han have with the Falcon that is more than just, um, this is my car that I really love, you know? Um, it, there's this like personal relationship that is connected to L3, I think, because the ship itself sort of has that personality element that now we know more about because we got the story of L3. Um, so I don't know, like how, what do you think about saying that, that the Falcon sort of has like a spiritual significance to it and like how, how far is it okay to kind of go there and how far is it? Well, L3 wasn't really human and L3 was a droid and like, that's, that's all fuzzy too. Right. In star Wars, like droids personalities. So like just the spirituality of that, I think is really fascinating too. Right. Yeah. You have Lando's connection to L3 kind of bleeding into his then connection to the Falcon, which is, uh, Han never seems to take it kind of that way. Um, sometimes right. I feel like Chewie does because he was, I don't know, he seems to be more cognizant of his reality than Han does sometimes. Um, and yeah, I I think it's interesting how what they've done with droids over the course of the movies and, and TVs and the books. Um, personally, one piece of droidness from the old, you know, whatever it's called now, the Legends books, the Expanded Universe, uh, is Forlom, uh, who was trying to tap into using the Force and was making headway as a droid. And so I'm, I'm still crossing my fingers that Filoni's going to bring him, bring him in somehow. <laughs> but, but that Toby. wasn't, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fascinating. Yeah, I. I think of R2-D2 as a relic. Yeah. More so he than C-3PO. <laughs> more so, well, yeah. Well, he, he's, he's really old. But, like, more so than C-3PO, because 3PO speaks, and there's, like, this whole other... And, and like, that's a very um, humanizing thing where we think of C-3PO as, like, a character. But also, but R2... Um, I think R2's memory banks are referenced multiple times, both in the original, the prequels, and the sequels, I think, at multiple times where there's 
where they say, oh, yeah, this droid's never had his memory erased or something to that effect, where he's he has, you know, decades worth of data that he has and uses. And he's not like the other astromechs who just do their thing and then get, you know, wiped. Um, And also his role in specifically the sequel trilogy, where um, R2 boots up for the first time in like probably decades um, in episode seven is really similar to how we see other relics. The sequel trilogy has a lot of relics, actually. Yeah. yeah kind of really, <laughs> I'm, I'm realizing that just now. <laughs> it, does. It, it does. It's actually kind of cool. Um, well done sequel trilogy on that part. Um, but um, R2 kind of acts as a relic because he he's very connected to he's almost very, he's very connected to Luke. It's like the things that mm. Luke many of the things that Luke does and uses are very much um, sort of ter- I mean his lightsaber uh, R2 does Luke's X-Wing show up in the sequel trilogy? I can't remember yeah. but yeah that Ray flies it to Exegol yeah, oh, it's man, I can't even remember that I've blocked out the, I've blocked out the <laughs> final trilogy movie from my memory it's the only Star Wars show I've watched once I'm sorry uh, it's the only one I've watched once I'm sorry guys <laughs> yeah it's funny because R2 is sort of like a third, cra- third class relic of Luke also, <laughs> Anakin. also of Anakin yeah and right? Anakin yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I you know it's I have a theory that R2 is really the binding force of the galaxy because while he's shut totally. off Everything goes, Everything goes crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Well, and even with the sequel trilogy, you can, you know, we see a few times that those Jedi texts, right? Like the ancient Jedi books um, that are also relics. And they they play this role in the story where they're, you know, of course we have Luke who has his internal conflict about the Jedi Order, and he's going to go and burn the tree that he thinks has the books inside of them. And um, and he has that whole uh, exchange with Yoda about, you know, they weren't page turners and how much do they really matter to you? And um, to me, at least, I interpret that whole scene as, you know, Yoda basically saying, the act of passing on wisdom is a sacred act and that we do it in our lives. And as teachers, sometimes we do that in our mistakes, you know, and our, our failures are part of that whole process. And, and so the Jedi texts are kind of, they take on this meaning of, the passing on of that wisdom from one to another and not necessarily in the sequel series do we you know get a whole lot of what's inside of those books and that's not really what's important what's important is just the idea that you know this ancient idea of the Jedi order um is sort of being renewed and and passed on and and developed and so I think that's pretty cool. I mean, you know, yeah, we can talk about the 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 not so great parts of the, the sequel trilogy that maybe weren't planned. Well, they definitely weren't planned very well. <laughs> but but I think that the Jedi books and the Jedi texts, it, it kind of it is a nice symbol for you know what I what I just described. Well, yeah, and I think it's pretty clear that. You know, we never saw in the original trilogy Luke sit down and start reading the Jedi texts. <laughs> he learned he learned from there the there's always this this very clear tradition of learning from masters. Mm-hmm. Um where the Jedi's repository of knowledge is more of just sort of a a a database of information that Jedi can use to sort of store things away, holocrons, you know. Mm-hmm. Um but the real, you know, the the living holocrons of of um of the ways of the force are clearly the masters um, in Star Wars. It's it's always been that you learn primarily from you learn primarily from the masters, and then maybe you know when when your master, like in the case of Ezra and Kanan, where um where Kanan um was 
he, he did his absolute best, but he was not fully prepared to train. So they 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 unearth, you know, ancient knowledge in the form of uh, Maboy Yoda, who is practically uh, practically a, a, a relic, uh, a living relic as well with, yeah. with his, his his significance all through the Star Wars world. Um, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's really clear in Star Wars that that um, the way that knowledge is passed on is is through the the master apprentice um, through masters and apprentices. Mm. So it's like CCD class, Sunday school class isn't as important as having those like disciple leaders, like role models in your church, right? Like that's kind yeah. of the <laughs> yeah. And it makes me wonder how much the sacred Jedi texts were like, you know, saint stories versus manuals of theology. Um, not to di- not to not to shoot down the manuals of theology. Don't don't don't. <laughs> They're don't, important don't too. Add yeah. me in the, don't add me in the Discord <laughs> server or anything like that. <laughs> at Ryan Nafsey, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> gonna be uh, gonna be uh, anathematized by Vatican III for that one. Uh, <laughs> I you know it's interesting thinking about it. Um, there are. It's the Falcon isn't like the only non Jedi related uh, relic that's prominent. I think the other one that's really prominent, at least in recent shows, is the dark saber. Um, mm-hmm. And that is, I mean, it is Jedi, but it's also kind of not. Um, it yeah, it's Mando mostly, right? Yeah, it sort of exists in that sort of two worlds, but it you know is is a lightsaber and it was made by a Jedi. But after that point, it's kind of just a Mandalorian relic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about, especially the Mandalorians who take a lot of pride in their stuff, um, and the, yeah, you know, the their gear. Down. Yeah. The gear. Yeah. <laughs> I think about like, you know, the, probably the armorer's tools mm. were, were very likely passed down to her from her, you know, the armorer from her. And, and so that's sort of the passing down of things that, that kind of relicness one one thing i've always wondered is whether maybe maybe one of you guys knows this but i'm not a i'm not a mandalorian nerd um (laughs) do mandalorians like melt down the deceased helmets like the helmets of deceased the deceased for Mm -hmm. like the armor of you know new of the new or is or is it the sort of thing where they pass down the actual artifacts because um that was something that I was that I thought of, but I I have no I just don't know anything about that. Um, it certainly would be cool if they have this you know chain going on, but I know that um, Boba Fett's armor isn't coded, um, right? With, with his with his father's um, with his father's chain code, but yeah, and I want to say Bo Katan's she mentions in in the Mandalorian that her armor has been part of her family for generations. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's sort mm-hmm. of passed down. I don't know about melting it down and, and turning it, and but I could see that becoming a practice mm-hmm. in the Mandalorian diaspora, um, yeah. just because you would have such a limited um, amount of Beskar to deal with, and so yeah. like okay, we've got this guy's armor, and you know we have this Mandalorian's armor, and he's died, and we have another one who needs armor, but they are very different body shapes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so we we do what we can with what we've got kind of a deal. Yeah, keeping something in the family only makes sense if you have like inheritance and you can like have, you know, through just familial lines similar body structures. Yeah. Even that doesn't always happen. <laughs> That's kind of like passing down um like a wedding dress for women. That's pretty common practice as well. You know, like to get your mother's wedding dress and kind of have it tailored for for you that it's not what I ended up doing but I I did still receive like you know parts of different things you know like jewelry or sort of certain items that you know were to be part of my wedding that were part of another family member's wedding so that's yeah I guess that's a real world kind of comparison there too but with the dark saber um it's also cool that we've been able to see the relationship with the user in 
the story arcs that we've gotten in the Clone Wars, as well as in the recent live action series, that we've learned more about the relationship between the dark saber specifically and how important it is to be like interiorly balanced, spiritually balanced to wield it well. And that there's, um, there's certain training. It kind of goes with the whole idea of, you know, having a lightsaber, having a kyber crystal in it that we've seen in the Clone Wars series, the, the actual process that a youngling will go through to find their kyber crystal that it kind of like um, speaks to them in a way like calls out to them and they, they find it. <laughs> Those were good episodes. <laughs> right. But it's just so cool to think about like there's this spiritual connection that someone has to this crystal and then they put it in this lightsaber and it's like we've seen different, <laughs> especially with the whole idea of a Sith sort of bleeding a kyber crystal to make it red that they put in all of their like anger and pain and into the crystal and then it just kind of bleeds it's very like weird odd language but in like dark language but it it's kind of like a a lightsaber is almost like a mood ring (laughs) you know for a person (laughs) for their like soul why is his purple Uh, you just don't want to mess with him <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Oh, remind wow, I just thought of like um oh, this is a deep cut. Um so we're going to Rebels here, uh mm-hmm. Zeb Aurelios and uh Agent Callus and the battle of their weapons is a very interesting um it's a very interesting story of two relics. Zeb making his cuz he didn't he had to make his, you know, from I think is isn't that right? He had to like craft his own version of the Lasat whatever like battle staff thing, and then Callus just straight up stole one from like a dead Lasat mm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was another reminder of when we're talking about weapons, which I think is a really good we- weapons as relics is actually really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. I know certainly yeah. my grandparents have guns to spare that they will that i will be inheriting at some point (laughs) right yeah um i'm thinking about what was the name of the villain in solo was it oh boy um Uh, but on his ship he has no that was the female leader i'm thinking of the guy who was like kind of the gangster in um uh same actor as yondu from uh, guardians of the galaxy (laughs) but i don't remember his name didn't he have like a bunch of weapons and stuff like old relics in his sort of personal lair or whatever you want to call his his office his corner office on the ship it's been a while since i've seen solo but i think i remember something like that yeah I, i seem to remember that and then you and then then we can think about Thrawn too. Like if we want to talk about artifacts, right? Because mm-hmm. Thrawn is sort of like a collector of artifacts and art. And he uses them more like in a a logical uh, way. Kind of. Yeah. Not not for the like spiritual connection or emotional appreciation or anything like that. Um at least not that I understand it to be, but maybe if somebody is like a Thrawn super fan and you want to write to us and tell us more, please do. Thrawn apologists flood the, <laughs> flood the comment box. Um, Thrawn but, kind of, yeah. he, he knows that like Thrawn clearly knows that things matter to people. Special right. things tell you about who someone is. Like he respects the the things because he oh, respects yeah. he respects what they represent for people, but but not necessarily in a sense of like you know like you buy a piece of art, um, but it doesn't have like an emotional. It doesn't do anything for you emotionally. It's just sort of like oh yeah, this is really important, isn't it? You know what I mean? I like collecting art. 
like if you are purchasing art for just investment purposes or something. Yeah. Yeah, that's I think that sort of a way I don't know. It's it's I think it's almost like it's as if Thrawn was buying books, but he's buying <laughs> artwork, right? Because he, oh, yeah. he he gets them to study, right? They're not it's not there like, you know, people say art is supposed to evoke an emotional response, but that's not why he's getting it. He's mm-hmm. getting it to study the creature that made it and and probably what kind of emotional response that creature was trying to get out of the audience and why that was important. Um, you know, he's probably going mm. as far down that rabbit hole as he can, because what he wants out of it is how can I use this against whoever, whatever culture made this. Um, so it's almost like a uh, know thine enemy. I'm going to read their literature uh, kind of take on it, <clears throat> but doing it in an academic sense and not in a, you know, to, to get something as a whole person out of it, which is one of the reasons Thrawn is terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like you think about, for example, with the Calicori that belonged to Hera, right? Like that was basically her family tree in an object, right? And that, that relic, you know, so to speak, that family, it's almost like the family Bible with like all the family names inscribed in it, right? Um, that was taken from her family and from her. And he just sort of put it on a shelf and <laughs> and studied it, you know? Like, it's, there's something that's really, I don't know, like there's that whole, um, I guess the real world, um, if you think about, okay, let's not go to real world quite yet, but this is discussed in the first Black Panther movie where um, they have like items in a museum that were taken from a culture, from a people. And they're just sort of in a museum for people to look at now, like on the other side of the world. And uh, Killmonger, the character, comes in and, and sort of tells the museum like docent or whatever oh i'm gonna take this off your hands and she's like no it's not for sale he's like well i'm not gonna buy it like how do you think that your people got it from my people you know so it's this whole concept of like just taking something you know like like thrawn took this thing from hera that he didn't really have permission to take right (laughs) like um and he just sort of used it to kind of like study and I guess he thinks that that's um still respectful I don't know like he's he's kind of like um yeah he's just really cold and calculating it's it reminds me of like a like a British Egyptologist curator and be like Egyptian artifacts belong where they should be in a in a British museum in London. Like wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's like, and then there's other things where it's like more. If we're going back to like the Star Wars, and now if we're gonna like analogize to Star Wars, where it's like some of the you know maybe you find like a holocron that's clearly so old that like nobody knows where it came from, like the like the te- the Jedi Temple on um, Lothal, where it's like maybe you're talking about some like ancient Sumerian tablet somewhere where like you have no line of descent of like any sort of people group where you're like man what are we going to do with this thing? (laughs) Because we can't exactly, you can't exactly, you know, you're just going to have to put it somewhere because it obviously, there's also like the whole concept, like the past deserves to be served, even if it's not Mm -hmm. like, um, even, even if it's not, you know, pretty, um, where, you know, maybe, maybe the youngling slayer 5,000 will show up in a star Wars (laughs) museum someday. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wow! Uh, that wasn't that wasn't an elaborate joke. I promise. It's not the point of that whole discussion. It's a thirty-five minute build-up to that joke. <laughs> it's actually a nine-part movie build-up to that show. <laughs> Uh, 
pivoting from that. (laughs) (laughs) So, so we talked about like lightsabers. Um, I would say probably an honorable mention for Star Wars Relic, in my opinion, would be Jin Erso's Kyber Crystal Necklace. Because it's like, it doesn't really play a huge role in the story, but it's, it's her tie to the force and to her family and to this like bigger picture that she chooses to enter into after all. Um, And I really like how simple it is, you know, just that whole Kyber crystals, like spiritual connection um, that sort of is an undertone in Rogue One. Um, So it's like, I don't know if you would call it a relic per se, but uh, it still sort of plays a similar, um, a similar role in, in the story and the character development. Yeah. It's a very, it, it, the empire, you know, going around collecting the kyber crystals, um, in order for the construction of the Death Star. It's a very, um, in my mind, interesting analog to, uh, Hitler and his, mm-hmm. um, occult object yeah. scrounging. Um, you know, he was going, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark was a great movie, but like Hitler was actually trying to do that stuff. <laughs> like it wasn't, right. you know, it, as far as we know, he didn't actually find the Ark of the Covenant or anything like that, but you know, he was trying to, and it's interesting to think about, um, the analog there between the empire and you see sort of this, you know, blase disregard for the concept of spirituality or, um, the idea of objects having sort of a spiritual nature, you know, you get that, uh, from the one, uh, general, you know, this battle station is the ultimate power in the universe. You know, you're in, and no one believes in your old religion and you yeah. kind of get it from Tarkin too. Um, and then, you know, Han Solo is kind of in the same bag, uh, right. at, the, at the same yeah. time. Which has always floored me that you, I mean, it's literally like 30 years and somehow. <laughs> yeah, I love how Tark. I love how Tarkin takes that attitude because he like, he like literally watched Anakin like force push him out of like an imperial prison. I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> really? Um. <laughs> well, I mean, that isn't that sort of sort of the point, though, too. Like there's. Yeah. I it's guess, so you know, eucharistic. as believers, quote unquote, like, you know, we could say the same thing about people that we know. Like we could we could see a miracle in our lives and then other people kind of describe it away or sort of ignore it or just say that was weird or, you know, whatever. And and people interpret things that happen in different ways. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of interesting too, just to think about like how. Um, things that happen to us or objects or whatever, like can sort of be ascribed different meanings for different people. Star Wars has always rhymed with World War II also in that way. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of kind of, a lot of interesting analogs there. That's probably a whole other podcast episode. Probably (laughs) series. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Got me thinking now. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) Station. Just the, just the Death Star, <laughs> this station is now the ultimate power in the universe line is a big one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I think I think back to even um, <laughs> the last movie that uh, Ryan has only seen once. But when <laughs> when Ray and Kylo are sort of fighting over this um, Sith Wayfinder and they're on the the Death Star that has crashed, right? And and there's all this, like, there's kind of this implication that there's a lot of evil energy in the place, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like she sees these things and sort of, you know, there's, there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of tension and frustration between the two of them. And, and it just sort of, like, kind of feeds on itself, right? That, that, that concept of um, how objects can have this spiritual connection so i guess to sort of wrap this up here um what do you think like obviously we've talked about a lot of different implications for real life but 
what what all is sort of your takeaway from this discussion about like how we interact with objects and how Star Wars sort of paints that that picture and how Star Wars reflects that? Well, Star Wars at its best is just a rhyme of all of the other, you know, epic stories that have been told through the centuries. So I think that there's a big I think that there's a big connection to how Star Wars how you bring you keep things um as you know icons of icons of hope um as relics of of the times when you've won the past. And I think that there's a lot of um I think that there's a lot of truth to that in our in our own lives, you know, when you might have something like I'm looking at a little at a little guy here that I've had since I was about um, eight or nine. And it's only it's only this little figurine guy's only real purpose is just to remind me that, yeah, I've always loved cool fantasy worlds since I was a kid. And so I think that, you know, the things that we have, even if from big things to small things, will always sort of, they become part of us in a very small but significant way. And that's the way it is in Star Wars, too, where, you know, the piece of junk ship that gets introduced <laughs> as a, you know, a basically a slapstick gag in the first movie is now one of the most iconic Star Wars uh, icons in the whole show. And that's kind of how life is, too. Yeah, I think um, I think Star Wars does a good job of relaying that part of reality where, you know, certain people become associated with certain things and certain things sort of take on parts of, of the people who, you know, have them or use them. Like... I've I've driven the same truck for almost 20 years now and it it could you could describe it as a, a beat up piece of junk <laughs> at this point um but it is very synonymous with me <laughs> at this point in my life <laughs> and I would never get rid of it and I'm sure if I ever became a saint it would be like the relic <laughs> like <laughs> the third class class relic and I think most people there are things in their lives that are like that and and I think Star Wars captures that very eloquently. And because it has a built-in spiritual side of it, it it actually does a really good job of conveying the spiritual aspect of that. That it's not just, you know, matter rubbing off on matter. It's there really is an entanglement between the spiritual side and the and the uh physical side. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Um and I also just kind of to be poetic and go back to the beginning, <laughs> uh, like Star Wars does. I think about Kylo Ren, you know, just talking to that helmet and how ultimately that helmet was on a funeral pyre for somebody who had chosen the light side, you know, had chosen love. And little did he know, right? Like little did. Kylo realize, um, did Ben realize what, what he was going through that conflict? Like maybe that was actually because like there was light side energy connected to that helmet too, like not just dark side energy. I think that's really interesting, but, um, yeah, like we, we have these objects, they, they are connected to us. They're not like, they're not the ultimate end, but they help us kind of on our journey and in our hero's journey. So I think that's, yeah, like just everything that we've talked about, it just makes Star Wars so much more um, rich and, and fascinating. So what, what about you guys out there? Uh, we want to hear your feedback. What other relics did we not talk about? What relic connections in Star Wars stand out to you? Send us an email on on that topic or anything else related to Star Wars. You can email us at starwars at sqpn.com or find StarQuest on Facebook at facebook.com slash starquestmedia. Um, and if you want to write to us on the app formerly known as Twitter, uh, you can do so at sqpn. 
If you're interested in um, at mentioning Ryan over his anathema or whatever, um, you oh, can man. join us Another on Discord. <laughs> you can join us on Discord. We have about 800 folks over there who are joining in the fun of our discussions at sqpn.com slash discord. You can join us there. And stay tuned here to the podcast for upcoming shows diving into the deeper themes and meanings of Star Wars. Uh, subscribe to Secrets of Star Wars in your favorite podcast app or on the YouTube channel for StarQuest Media. And previous episodes can be found at sqpn.com slash Star Wars. So until next time, Patrick Mason, thank you for joining the crew today. You're very welcome. Great discussion. Yeah, and thanks, Ryan, also for uh, talking relics and holocrons and all, all the good things. This is a great one. I'm glad I could be here. Yeah, and once again, I'm the one in the middle, the Bendu, Angela Ciolana. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Wars on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy. Let's Science. Find the show wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash science.